Welcome to One Haas, a podcast devoted to bringing the Haas community closer together through your stories. I'm your host, Sean Lee, and my mission is to help open our eyes to the network we never knew we had. This is Sean, and I'm privileged to be here today with Mojgan Payombar. It so happens that today is International Women's Day. And Moj has an inspiring story of uprooting herself and moving to the other side of the world. So Moj, you're from the EMBA 2018 program, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in a born, raised in Iran. I had a super overprotective parents, especially my dad. And I could never imagine leaving the country because even just going to friends' house was was just kind of a radical idea for me. My mm. dad was always like worried about things, especially after revolution in Iran. I think they kind of had like built up anxiety and a stress as a result of things happened back home. So they were worried about a lot of different things that now looking back, it might've not been realistic mm-hmm. and kind of like out there. But um, I remember one of my best friends, cause I had to really, she used to make fun of like how my parents were and it's like you need to get coupons from your parents for every time you are hanging out so they kind of like you're running out of coupons really fast and it was just like making fun of like how overprotective they are and it happened that my dad left home and it wasn't until then that I felt like like I may have the freedom to leave the country. So my mom really pushed me. Hmm. So I always wanted to leave and I never thought it's going to happen. And it happened that my dad left us. Mm-hmm. And during that time with the support of my mom and my grand grandfather, mm-hmm. they kind of pushed me to go, not push me. I, I was dying to go, but they helped and support me to go to Cyprus. Okay. That's kind of how I got out of the country. And, most of my best friends there were just like, like, how is that even possible? Like you couldn't even go down the street by yourself. Yeah. And now you're going completely Cyprus. going to Cyprus. And my dad actually went to nursing house because he got married really late. And I remember the night before I get out, because in Iran, your father, if you're not married, can essentially prevent you from leaving the country. Mm. So I didn't tell him. And the night before I leave, I went and saw him and I told him, by the way, I'm leaving and I'm going to Cyprus and I want to get education. And I don't know, like it just happened. So mm-hmm. it, I feel like certain things happen for me to be able to get out. So did you get his blessing at that moment? Was he against it? I, surprisingly, he didn't react to it the way I expected. And I think in his heart, he knew that that's the best thing for me. And he kind of, re- I feel like he purposely removed himself from the position that he needed to like make decisions mm. and kind of like, he kind of was like, okay, like it's going to happen. And he let it happen. Mm-hmm. So that's how I left. But then when I was in Cyprus, opportunity came up for me to come here as an exchange student. And mm-hmm. this is like almost three and a half years later. Mm. Um, and then Everything started from there, and then I reapplied, and I came back. So let me get this right. You went to high school in Iran. And, or are you from in Iran, by the way? Tehran, the Tehran. capital. Okay. Like a suburb or in the city? In a city. Okay. And then you went to Cyprus for college? Yeah. 
So I went to Cyprus for my undergrad. Okay. What did you uh, go to study? Uh, Mechanical engineering. So I... I was passionate about arts and design, and my dad actually had arts collection. He was really into arts, and he always told me, you should just become an artist. Mm -hmm. And then I remember back in Iran, you either become a lawyer, engineer, or doctor. Mm -hmm. And I felt like for me, in order to survive and become independent, I mean, arts might be a really hard path. Yeah. And I always wanted to prove that I can do something harder than art. Or for some reason, like arts in Iran is not appreciated. Oh, okay. So I always had this mindset that, no, I have to go for like really like math degree or engineer or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then I remember I was talking to someone and I don't remember admission office or someone uh, in the university and they're like, well, if you like design, you can do mechanical design. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so why not just, you know, choose mechanical engineering? And mm-hmm. that's kind of how I decided. It wasn't really out of passion or anything. Hmm. And then uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny because uh, we'll, we'll talk about your, your art endeavors uh, in a little bit, but what did you, uh, what did you do? Did you finish college before you moved here or how, how did the process go from Cyprus to the U.S.? Yeah, sure. So it was the second year that our school, I went to Eastern Mediterranean University, EMU, in North Cyprus, the Turkish side. So they started an exchange program with Cal State Long Beach. Mm. So you could come in as a guest and you had to, basically they freeze your transcript so you can prove to the embassy that you're going to go back. Or you will lose like almost three and a half years of your undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we came here as a guest for for a term. And then I went back and I was like, there's no way I can go back to Iran. I have to go back to U.S. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was a bad timing because I think U.S. and Iran, relation. I mean, it's always been bad. But at the time, it was a time where they were not really giving appointments for mm-hmm. interviews to Iranians. Mm-hmm. And I really got lucky. I went for the next round. I kind of like went to the embassy with the next group of people who were going Mm -hmm. to come here as an exchange. And that's how I got my interview. And then I got the visa and I came back for a master's. And I applied for Long Beach because I felt there's 100% guarantee that I can get admission and come back here. So I was like, I want just my foot in the door, and then I can figure the rest out later. Right, right. So that's how it happened, and then what, came back. What year was this? 2007. 2007, okay. Yeah. And so ever since you came here for your master's, uh, yeah. you just stayed? I just stayed. It's been 11 years that I haven't gone back. To to run? Yeah. Wow. Yep. <laughs> Do you, did you have any uh, family here? No, when I came, so I had, like, my mom's... Um, like second cousins, like kind of not like immediate family in like Sacramento, mm-hmm. but you no, know, I came by myself and there were a couple other students from Cyprus that kind of came either before or afterwards. So I had just those friends and that was it. Hmm. And then uh, you finished your master's and ended up getting a job here. Yeah. So after the first year, I went to a job fair. And this is a funny story because I had a resume that when I look at it now, it's like there was nothing on it, like mm-hmm. probably like <laughs> two sentences. 
And um, I actually had a friend, he was from Sweden. Uh-huh. And I was shy still, like I still wasn't cultured. And um, he was very talkative and very outgoing person. So we went to job fair in Long Beach together. And I had this blank almost resume with me. He met this recruiter from the company that I joined my mm-hmm. first job. She was from Sweden. So these two start talking and I was just standing there <laughs> with my resume <laughs> in my hand. And then my first manager or the person who hired me, she was like, so what do you do? And I was like, um, I'm just getting my master's in mechanical engineering. And she was like, well, do you want to give your resume to me? And that's how everything started. So I gave the resume and we both got calls and we started an internship uh-huh. and then everything started there. Like, I became an intern, and I transferred to part-time, and then once I graduated full-time, and the company actually sponsored my green card. Oh, wow. And that's how, I mean, I always owed to them for yeah. giving me the opportunity, so. Wow. That's, uh. Yeah, it was kind of random. Yeah, it's kind of random. Sounds like everything is. I feel like everything has happened has been really random. Yeah. No planning, and. I mean, how did you pick the school in Cyprus? That was also very <laughs> random. So we had some guests over and like my aunt, actually one of my aunt's best friend, mm-hmm. um, her son was going to Cyprus for school and she started talking to us about the school and it's cool and you guys might want to consider it. And then I totally dismissed it because I was like, okay, with my dad, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And there's no way we have the money to spend. Yeah. And... I really don't know how my mom and my grandfather made it happen, but like it went from just someone speaking about their sons going to school to like a couple months later, me signing up and going to Cyprus. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was the easiest way out because in like going to Turkey or Cyprus or neighboring countries doesn't require visa. Hmm. And at the time, maybe it wasn't as competitive. So it was, I always look at it as a springboard Mm -hmm. and a place that I can get out and then hopefully from there, I can kind of like build on that foundation. Mm, okay. Moj and I met at a info session down here in Irvine for uh, prospective students. And Moj was representing Enba and I was representing EW. And I think there was another EW or full-time student on the panel. Did you work while in school doing your master's? Yeah. So I I came here in... I think it was August 14th when I landed. I started school in September. I found a job the next summer. This is a 2008 then? Yeah, okay. two, 2008, yeah. right? Right That's... around the great time that everybody could find a job, <laughs> I found a job. So I started my internship. And right from there, my so when you come as immigrant on a student visa, you're given something called optional practical training it's called opt and then that is something you can work on as a student for a year so i converted to opt as a part-time you can't go above i think 20 hours a week for a year and then after that you have to get a work visa so they applied for my my work visa and work visa is essentially a lot like a lottery you have to apply and Depends on your degree and all of that, you get selected. I don't really know the process. And 
then from there I became full-time and then you usually you stay three to six years on your H1B mm-hmm. but the company I think not even a year into it applied for my green card wow yeah that's really fortunate I feel like a lot of companies uh, with friends I know they there's a struggle to get the company to help you out with your your green card yes especially like given that they could just keep doing it for another six years they could just keep me on a visa because there there are like uh, fees associated with those applications Mm -hmm. but i mean like i said i definitely i was really fortunate to have that opportunity where did you go after that position so i worked there for five years about five years a year after getting my green card i wasn't actually looking to leave because the company i work for was owned by Lebanese family and I could relate to them a lot because I'm immigrant, they're Middle Eastern and they really took me in as a family. That's what I felt about them. Um, So I kind of felt I belonged there and I definitely felt I owed them a lot. (laughs) But someone gave my number, one of my friends gave my number to a recruiter and recruiter asked me if I'm interested. And I was like, I just want to see, like, explore, sure. And I wasn't, like, I, I wasn't looking. I didn't have intention to leave. Yeah. Then I went for an interview. <laughs> and it was a disaster. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I'm in a bubble. Uh-huh. I just know how things work in this company. And they do things their own way. Mm-hmm. Not that it was wrong or right or bad. But I just felt that I don't meet the standards of industry just from that interview and conversation. So the interview wasn't a disaster. It's the realization. Yeah. That the well, I mean, made. I ended up getting the job, yeah, yeah. but in my, yeah, my realization of how much I don't know was something that came, came out right, out of right. that interview. So okay. I was like, Oh my gosh, like I can't just be in this bubble of this company. And that kind of was a force for me because Usually I get anxious about these things and I'm like, oh my God, I'm falling behind. I'm not learning. And that was a trigger point, that interview and that conversation. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I have to change my situation. And it was a really tough decision. And a lot of people in the company tried to keep me. Yeah. I think I met with every single person every day (laughs) prior to leaving, but it was just the right decision for me. To kind of experience some other stuff. And, and so where did you go after that? So I went to Covidian. It's it was at the time a division of it was actually a comp- competitor and it's a med device company. And I think a couple of years in it got bought out by another med device giant called Medtronic. Mm-hmm. And I worked there till last December. Mm-hmm. And I the the Berkeley program kind of gave me the courage to step out and try to explore so I see what was your role there so my career has been mainly in operations manufacturing engineering and quality engineering in Medtronic I became a quality engineer and I had a small team that I was leading but two and a half years into that I was like I'm done with engineering I want to learn how management make decisions our company had um a lot of M&As and we kept bringing new products and I had no idea how do they make decisions and 
a lot of times as an engineer, I feel like you are at the bottom of the food chain. You don't even have visibility to what's going on. Maybe unless you kind of break it out of maybe like lower level ro roles and become like managers. But at the time, I had no clue how things are happening. I was very focused on certain things and it, I had a narrow scope of responsibility. So in the process of exploring... <laughs> Again, randomly, like everything else in my story, I talked to a business development strategy director. Mm -hmm. uh, she's actually also Iranian. So we went to lunch just because we were both Iranian and we were just kind of, you know, getting to know each other. Mm -hmm. And during lunch, I started complaining to her about, oh my God, how... I'm so frustrated with operations. I want to get out of operations. So I said whatever was in my head. And I'm usually like so transparent and have no filter. So I said all of that. And at the end, she was kind of like, well, I am opening a position for a senior analyst. You just take a look at job description. You might find it interesting. And even if you don't get the job, it will be a good, you know, opportunity for you to interview and learn. Mm -hmm. And I honestly think we both thought there's no way I get the job. It's more for me to yeah. get an experience. And I applied <laughs> and I went crazy for that role. Like I sat down, I asked her, like, what skills do you need? What do you want me to show you? And she sent me a couple of like decks and reports and maybe financial models of what they've done. And I've later realized she sent that to the other candidates that were internal as well. Mm -hmm. And I went crazy. I made a deck and it was not a great strategy. It was shitty strategy, but I put an effort. <laughs> and I think that's what really got me the position. Huh. So the last almost three years, I did business development strategy at Metronic. I see. Wow. I think that's the... Uh that's what makes you so different from some of the people I meet is, is the randomness, the randomness, <laughs> which I can relate to. Yeah. But it's, it's when you find something that grabs your interest or that you can become passionate about, you really dig in. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a quality. I think, I think more people need to have is, is this level of commitment takes a long time for me to find that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, definitely, if you look at my story, there's been a lot of those patterns where once I know this is the right thing, like from leaving home, coming to U.S., and then really like seeing that disastrous interview in my own head. Like if once I see that, hey, I need to do something, yeah. I just go crazy in full force. But it takes a while to figure it out. I think that's, uh, if there's anything to take away from this podcast today, it's, it's that. <laughs> really, it's, it's, that, it's that idea that I think once people figure things out, they still don't commit to it. There, there's so many fears, there's so many excuses, but people are really afraid to, to dive, take that dive, to you know, jump off the cliff. Something you mentioned earlier to me today, this art show that you want to put on for Berkeley. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Sure. So it's not finalized and clear, but it's an idea I've had in my head. I think the class before us actually raised about 140K. Yeah, the EMBA 17. And there was like 
talks about fundraising and, you know, what cause do we want to raise money for? So that's kind of an ongoing conversation with our cohort. And as I was thinking, I was like, I wish I could do something with my art. So art's always been a hobby of mine. I'm not a professional artist, but it's something that I'm passionate about and kind of grew up being encouraged by my dad to do arts. So I always wanted to put it in good cause and do something with it. And I was like, what if I come up with an event, make a cool event out of it and basically sell my arts and get the money and donate it to school mm. for maybe a fund that we decide as a class. Mm. So recently I got in contact with Tani Frost from, um, I think she's director, executive director for alumni relationships. And I talked to her about the idea and she liked it. So she suggested me to connect to someone who is also Berkeley alumni. He has a really cool coffee shop and art kind of place or gallery in Oakland. So now I'm trying to get in touch with him and see if we can host an event there sometime in summer and advertise it through school and get people to come and, you know, have fun. And yeah. then maybe we sell some arts and get that money. Love it. To school. Maybe any, for a scholarship. Or, are there any other um, Berkeley artists that you know? Like Haas artists? I don't know anyone, but I think we can definitely advertise and maybe ask other people to join. So if you know of someone or anyone who's listening to this podcast that might be interested, definitely would be interested to work with. And yeah, reach out reach to Moj. Yeah, yeah, that would be really cool. We'll put that up uh, as a link uh, for the podcast. What's what's been your experience like as a Emba commuter? I always have uh, FOMO because I'm not there, and I feel like if I was up there, I could connect more with people and create stronger bonds and relationships. So that's kind of the downside. But in terms of logistics, or I mean, I don't commute for that big of a flight it's not that i mean we have people from virginia and texas i mean this is like orange county in our yeah. flight <laughs> <laughs> but i think logistically it's fine it's just you're not there all the time you don't participate to all the events and usually i miss home and i just want to come back to my husband so that can be taxing but that's part of the reason i also quit my job in planning to move to the Bay Area so I can be up there more hmm. often. I will say to that point of wanting to come home, that's something I, I find a lot with uh, EWs as well. Because unlike the full-timers who are just, they're living on campus, being there all the time, it's so easy for us to uh, just want to grab the next flight out, just go home. And you relax. also don't like cold. Uh, it's, I've... <laughs> I'm from Michigan You complain so about a little I, okay, you're cold right, you're right. <laughs> weather. I, I, I think that's one of the driving reasons for me to want to come home um, every Saturday night after class. But I will say that that hurdle is so small that once I'm, I stay out, once I stay up there, every time I'm so glad I stayed. Yeah, same here. Right? Yep. So it's if, if there's any... I think takeaway from uh, being a commuter student is to not let yourself, you know, just 
hop on that next flight, just stay a few more hours or stay an extra night because I've never regretted staying an extra night being, you know, getting to know people better, uh, just hang out with people. Yeah, totally agree with that. I, I think the month I was up there, I got to hang out with a lot more people and get to know them better and, you know, have stronger bonds with them. So definitely, yeah, I would say definitely take advantage of that. Yeah. As uh, Since you're already, uh, now that you're halfway through your program, do you have any advice for incoming students, for incoming EMBAs? I don't know. I'm not a big planner, uh-huh. so I kind of, you know, the randomness, I mm-hmm. figured out along the way. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it varies for people. I think just learning how to manage your time is the big thing. Don't be hard on yourself if you don't read every single textbook and paper. And just like keep an open mind, I would say. To things because I think one of the interesting thing I I I thought I'm pretty open-minded person and I come from I mean I have a diverse background coming from Middle East going to Cyprus coming here but I still find a lot of biases in myself and it's been exposed more and more just working with different types of people and personalities so I think just being open and willing to can I explore those areas and get comfortable with it is important. And that's one of the things that I would say, just be open and give people opportunity to be themselves and not be judgmental. I think being judgmental is a characteristic of an Iranian person in general. It's being human in general. <laughs> well, yeah, but like, I think some cultures like have more of it. So I think mm. culturally I'm prone to it as well. And yeah. given that I taught, I'm really open-minded and is still finding myself in situations where I, you know, have a hard time understanding the other person. I, I think that's one of the benefits of going to an MBA program and how they're designed. Um, but yeah, just keep an open, open mind and just try to, to be a sponge and absorb everything. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's, it's funny you say that. I, I just yesterday, this is uh, today is March 8th. Uh, just yesterday, I went for my uh, naturalization interview. Oh, and test, cool. And I just got an email this morning uh, that they scheduled my ceremony. Awesome. So after being in the U.S. for 25 years now, just, I'm finally going to become an American citizen. Awesome. So it's it's funny. And, and more than ever, I feel like I'm an American because for the fact that this country is so diverse, yeah. right? And, and, you know, as much as we want to discount certain groups of people just because they're different from us is, is what causes this divisiveness versus always trying to understand people mm-hmm. and, and see what our differences are and what what our commonalities are. So it's um I think it's, it's you're absolutely correct. This has been an, an amazing experience because in our class we also have some, you know, not so far left um, students and it's perfectly okay. Yeah. Right? It's it's I think what's important is have that mutual respect even when other people disrespect you that you you know try to be the bigger person and say all right I'm not, I'm not going to retaliate back against you because that doesn't achieve anything, right? No. Like, like if somebody hates you, it's to hate back doesn't make the situation any better. The best that we can do is really to see why. Just ask, keep asking why. That's that's one of the things I, 
I, I learned to do better is to keep asking people why. Why do you think this way? Why do you feel this way? In a non-judgmental way. It's just, I'm just curious. You know, what 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 makes you think or say that kind of thing, right? And then to get a better perspective. And sometimes you realize when you ask people why, because they never even bother to ask themselves why they think this way, right? They start coming to a realization themselves. They're like, okay, yeah, I'm allowed to feel the way I, I feel, but maybe such certain things I shouldn't say, maybe certain things I should, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I just think that's interesting. Well, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. I think this is really cool. So All right. thanks for doing it. Maybe we'll uh, talk again soon. You know what, Ashley, I will say, I am always looking for people to co-interview with me. So if there are fellow students that you want to get to know better, that you know you, you know now, but you would like to go, get to know better, that we can co-interview together, I think it'll be really fun and interesting. Yeah, that would be fun. Okay. Cool. Thanks, Bosch. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in today. My aim is to bring the Haas community closer together through your stories. We're always looking for Haasies willing to share their stories and experiences so that we can give you more insights into the different programs, different careers, and ultimately different perspectives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please feel free to email me for suggestions on how I can improve this podcast, or if you have any recommendations on people or content you'd like to hear. My email is reachshawn at berkeley.edu. That's spelled R-E-A-C-H-S-E-A-N at berkeley.edu. 